because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. Today, we have a unique guest with a unique perspective on energy, and I don't use the word unique lightly. His name is Adrian Bejan. He is a physicist, specifically a thermodynamicist, so somebody who's an expert in thermodynamics, which relates to the dynamics of heat. And he is world-renowned for what is called constructal law. So constructal law is what it's trying to do is it's identifying certain universal dynamics of how the world works. And, and these are really universal in the sense of they apply to every aspect of the world from how climate works to how your car works, even to how universities evolve. And so one theme of his work is that he's just, or one characteristic of his work is he's showing similar dynamics apply in all kinds of different contexts that you wouldn't think they apply. And in his book that I read recently, Freedom and Evolution, you really see this. It's, it's really uh, fascinating. So just to give you a little background on how I discovered uh, Professor Bejan and what I'm excited about, I learned about him through a journal article that was called Why We Want Power, Economics is Physics. And this was shared with me by a listener of mine and I guess a fan of Professor Bejan's as well. Ian Coville. And so I'll just read you a, uh, a few quotes from this and, and comment a little bit, just so you get a sense of where Bejan is coming from and why he and I are very aligned, although we come from very different backgrounds, although he, he actually teaches at Duke where I went to school, but I never met him uh, when I what is at Duke. And I was in philosophy and computer science and he was in engineering and physics. So we never crossed paths. Okay, so here are a couple of quotes. The design of the flow of power grows in an evolutionary manner, in time, as thicker and more efficient streams that serve, empower, and liberate humanity over greater territories. So he's talking about greater energy use, serving, empowering, and liberating humanity. Or, today's focus on efficiency and conservation gives the false impression that the future belongs to burning less fuel, uniformity, and belt tightening, particularly in the advanced countries where most of the power is being generated and consumed. So attacking this idea that we're headed toward uh, using less fuel. Another quote, so far the focus of energy science has been on the generation of power, not on what happens after. This is something I, I definitely agree with, that there's just not nearly enough focus on, from my perspective, what is the value of energy. Now let's go see even further. He's talking about, and this will come up in our conversation today, about how energy inherently impacts environment and how that's a good thing. So the visible, here's a quote, the visible result of the consumption of fuel is the movement. The, uh, or it might be of movement. I might be slightly, I might've uh, typed this out incorrectly, but is movement, the rearranging of mass on the horizontal landscape. So it's very, you know, talking about movement is rearranging of mass on the horizontal landscape. So very much talking about impact or without fuel consumption, nothing moves, not our stuff and not the stuff of the environment. So as, as this indicates, and as you'll hear, he really embraces the fact that action, life, movement, progress, all of those inherently impact our environment. And so it's, it's so deeply problematic to talk about not impacting our environment. Uh, an example of this 
concretely that he talks about when he's talking about dams. Without dams, the rainwater slides down the hill anyway. And at best, it sets some debris in motion. It does not move us. In contrast, human ingenuity, technology, power plants intercepts the water as it falls. And thanks to the dam and turbine flow or turbine flow configuration, it extracts power from the falling water. So this is basically the water is going to be going down the hill anyway, and it just gets some random debris in motion. But if we use ingenuity, we can harness that for a good purpose. One fascinating theme of his work is he's just taking a physics perspective, particularly a thermodynamics perspective on, on everything. So that includes machines, that includes humans, all kinds of living and non-living phenomena. So he quotes like everything that moves is an engine or in terms of economics, quote, economic activity represents the movement of all the streams of a live society, people, goods, information, communications, and everything that flows inside the live human bodies and the running engines that drive this movement. This is the physics domain in which economics belongs. So it's really focused on when we're thinking about economics, there are certain underlying physical factors that are operating. And it's he finds it very clarifying to think, to understand these factors and not to just have it be, it's in everyone's minds. And I, I think this is actually a fascinating area of inquiry. And I think there are two ways in which you could go wrong in economics, although they both have merit to them. So one, there's the Austrian economics perspective, and I'm a big fan of Austrian economics, but the idea there is that value is subjective and it can make it seem like, okay, value is just in people's heads and it has nothing to do with physical reality. And that is an important kind of perspective because ultimately value is all about how people evaluate things. That's what determines the price. But nevertheless, there is a real physical component going on with the creation and consumption of value. Human beings aren't just doing it randomly and arbitrarily. We're ultimately trying to make our lives better. And that involves doing certain kinds of physical things in reality. And I think Bejan's work uh, gets at that. And I, I find that very clarifying. If, if you're interested in a thinker who properly integrates the uh, like the mental and the material components of economics, I think uh, Ayn Rand in the essay, What is Capitalism? does the best job of this that I'm uh, aware of. One final quote from him, from Bejan, we are an evolving human and machine species, which is a flow system immensely bigger and more powerful than the naked human body. So you can probably tell if you know my work at all. You know, I love the idea of machine labor, of human beings producing these machines and the power for these machines that can then produce so much value uh, for us. And just one final quote from his essay, not from him, but I love this quote. This is from Matthew Bolton, who is an early pioneer in energy. He says, I sell here, sir, what all the world desires to have, power, and power is capitalized, at least in the quote. So this, I read this article and I thought, wow, this guy is, I'm really aligned with him. I could learn a lot from him. I think my audience could learn a lot from him. It's fascinating. Often when people have these big integrating ideas, they're often wrong and they're often cranks. Like, so sometimes it, so crank is sort of somebody who is outside the mainstream deservedly because they're just, they have these ideas, but those ideas don't correspond to reality. And so they're justifiably uh, rejected. Now you can be rejected unjustifiably, which certainly happens. But one interesting thing about Bejan is he's got these very novel ideas. 
and yet they're not re rejected by the mainstream. I mean, maybe they're not accepted as much as as he thinks is proper, which makes sense to me that it should be he should be even more well-known, but he is a very uh, elite academic. He's got what's called an H index of 100, which is like, that shows how much influence you're having over your field. Uh, on his website, it talks about him being one of the most hundred published authors in his field in the world. He recently won the Benjamin Franklin medal. And just to give you a sense of that, this is described by the chairman of Duke as the Frank, quote, the Franklin Medal is one of the biggest, oldest, and most coveted honors in science in the United States and is among the highest prizes to which all scientists can aspire, including those from mathematics and engineering. Take, for examples, Mandelbrot, Tesla, and Edison, who did not receive the Nobel Prize, but were honored with Franklin Medals. And then the, the Franklin description of Bejan was included, quote, his pioneering interdisciplinary contributions in thermodynamics and convection heat transfer that have improved the performance of engineering systems and for his constructal theory, that's what I was referring to with constructal law, which predicts natural design and its evolution in engineering, scientific, and social systems. So that's some uh, background on Bejan, why I was interested in his work, to give you a preview of what we're going to be covering today. And then in the next episode, we're, we're going to, there's so, we had so much to talk about, we decided to divide it up into two uh, interviews. And I, this is an unusual kind of thing because it's, it's a, it at least gets into more technical issues than we usually do on this show. I thought listeners of Power Hour would enjoy hearing Bejan's unique physics-based perspective on how the world works. Uh, he's got a physics-based perspective on the value of energy, the value of environmental impact, and the value of uh, freedom. But I'll note that because he is, for, I mean, he's definitely a theoretician. He's an abstract thinker. He's formulating theories that apply to a wide range of phenomenon, phenomena. And he's invoking concepts from thermodynamics that most listeners, you won't be thinking in terms of those concepts all the time. So there may be points that get a little too technical to follow. I've done my best to try to uh, keep things anchored concretely to where almost anyone could understand it. Um, and I think particularly toward the second half of the episode, we really uh, it, we get it a little bit more concrete. But no matter what, I would recommend listening to the beginning of this because I asked Professor Bejan about his story, like how he got started. And he just has an amazing story about fleeing communism. And it really, it really shows what a journey he's gone through from being, you know, behind the Iron Curtain to being a leading world scientist. And, and you can get a sense of how much he, he understands freedom in such a unique way, but it just also emotionally values freedom. And so I found that very moving and I hope you will uh, too. So with that, enjoy part one of my interview with Professor Adrian Bejan. All right, I'm joined now by Professor Adrian Bejan of Duke University. Professor Bejan, welcome to Power Hour. Thank you for inviting me to, uh, to, to speak to you and your audience. Uh, great to have you. So if you'll indulge me, I just want to tell about a minute story to the audience about how I became familiar with your work, or rather what resonated, because uh, I am, you know, I don't find a lot of people who are oriented in the, in the same way as I am about energy and freedom, and I least expect it from university professors in my experience. 
And then I read this book that's recommended uh, to me about freedom and evolution. And I just want to read a couple, a quote from this. So readers, I mean, anyone listening to this show knows that, you know, I have a very deep love of human freedom and then a very deep belief that human energy production slash conversion is fundamental to human flourishing, including human progress. And I have deep objections to the modern egalitarian movement and certainly the modern, what I call anti-impact movement that says that we should have no impact on our environment. And so there is just this quote. Well, so one is he says, the homo species that rules the world now and in the near future is the human and machine species. And that just resonates with me so much because I'm so focused on how machine labor, machine power improve human life. And then check this out. You say, in advanced societies today, some are championing equality in the environment with nostalgic references to the equality and respect for the environment that seem to characterize the poorest living groups on the globe. And then you end with the physical reality is that both features, lack of hierarchy and lack of environmental impact, belong to populations with little movement, grave poverty, hunger, and short lives. So that, this is not something that most of my professors at Duke uh, would say. So I found it very refreshing. And I guess the first thing I would just want to ask is, I mean, you're, you're saying this and you're very well known as an innovator in the field. You're not some obscure crank uh, at all. I mean, you're a leader in, in your field. And so I'm just so interested in your origin story. And you describe yourself as in your book as a veritable nobody from nowhere behind the iron curtain. So I'm just curious, what in your early life led you, let's just start out with to come to the US to study science. And then I'm curious later about your interest in freedom and energy. Well, uh, the, um, um, yes, I, um, I was born in Romania um, in 1948, and uh, that was a baby boom right after the war. Uh, I grew up among the ruins because uh, my city had been bombed uh, both by uh, the uh, by the um, Soviets and then the Germans in retreat uh, in the ruins. And um, the um, uh, that's in I grew up in the 50s and the 60s uh, during the most murderous period of communist communism in uh, all over Eastern Europe. And um, so that was uh, obviously my uh, my formative school. Um, communism is not uh, a sound bite. I think uh, if you're interested, I would uh, talk to you for more than an hour about it. But the uh, the bottom line is that um, uh, my parents were intellectuals, so veterinarian, my father and my father, pharmacist. Uh, they uh, they were uh, educated in the uh, in the free Romania that preceded the, the war, uh, they had nothing to do with uh, with the totalitarianism of uh, either color, you know, brown or red. Uh, they uh, they wanted to be left alone, and um, obviously they refused to join the party. And so I saw well, basically they were both uh, imprisoned, uh, meaning disappearing in broad daylight because uh, there was arrests were not happening. Uh, under communism, Alex, the people are disappearing. It was a designed uh, uh, mechanism of terror. So this is the way I grew up, and obviously I, uh, I was uh, angry about uh, what's going, what was going on, um, and um, uh, I was actually challenged to, uh, to 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 grow up in a way that would make me immune or vaccinated against this sort of treatment. And so the solution was, in fact, the whole street was uh, reacting the way I was reacting. 
my I'm talking about my my pals, my my the boys with whom I was playing, um, were very good in school. Number one, uh, that meant uh, if we had the inclination toward the mathematics, we went for it. Um, we were very good in sports. I played all sports, and then I I focused on basketball, and I rose to the highest level. Uh, and I was very good. I, my father discovered I was very good in uh, at making drawings. So uh, visual arts, expressing myself visually, which means in a permanent way, because even today I have drawings from back then. Um, this was also uh, relatively unusual. But the most unusual thing is that I, uh, at age 20, I was I was good at three things, and. Um, and in uh, basketball uh, at the national level, frankly, uh, everybody who had a chance to defect uh, uh, took that chance. The uh, leaving, uh, escaping from communism was, uh, was uh, a common, uh, I would say, wish. It happened rarely because there were no passports. There was no way to leave the country. It's not like, uh, you know, Syrians. Uh, invading Europe. I mean, uh, from communism, you could not leave unless you had, the, you're lucky to have a relative somewhere to uh, to, to save you. And um, um, so that was the attitude. There's nothing unusual about my generation in this desire to, uh, to, uh, to, to get away from it, okay? To get away from it. It was so, so wrong-headed, so upside down, so unlike Unlike um, uh, the people we saw coming, um, you know, to the Black Sea uh, uh, beaches from West Germany and other uh, cold countries, they were happy. They were well dressed. They drove cars. They, they, uh, they, they were basically as European as anybody, uh, but they were very different. Meaning they were happy, and this difference, this difference was precisely what was being uh, described in our home. In our home, uh, the story was that uh, before communism, Romania was the same way. <laughs> Obviously, because Romania had an immigration problem. People are trying to enter Romania, not to flee Romania before the war. So uh, that was the, uh, the, the education. There are some um, cliques that, uh, I, I, again, many of them I would share with you later if you're curious. But... Um, uh, as it happened in um, 1968, uh, this Prague Spring took place, and for uh, reasons still uh, reasons still researched by historians, the uh, communist regime of Romania uh, sided with Dubček and um, engaged in uh, a few steps of liberalization uh, that the summer of 68. So one of them was. Uh, um, a national contest for uh, scholarships to go study in the West. It was a mathematics contest, which I won. I think I, I'm sure I did it uh, perfectly. And the, um, the prize for winning was uh, one application form uh, to a university I never heard of. Actually, I knew because of the moonshots, but I had no idea what it really meant, MIT. It was a... Uh, folded page with meaning a piece of paper with five sides to it. It was green and I filled it out and then I had to wait six months to be evaluated. So that's how I was admitted to MIT uh, as an undergraduate. And I arrived there in February, uh, February 9th, 1969. 
and um, and then I got all my degrees at MIT. Now the uh, so uh, I credit uh, all these things: the uh, the math, the uh, basketball. The uh, by the way, basketball was a uh, a liberating track for me because it meant that I was excused from absolutely any involvement in um, you know political meetings uh, mm. uh, uh, parades you know all sorts of bowing and scraping that that uh, the the kids of my age were forced to uh, to uh, to uh, to go through i was uh, excused because i was practicing at night uh, every day uh, at night the arena was available for our team whether we had a top team in the country um and uh so that was the uh, the, the the origin. Um, plus, uh, basketball, as I look at my career, is where I learned uh, my um, my how to work, how to work, uh, um, not only efficiently, but uh, in a way that I don't kill myself. Meaning, with a program, with balance, with uh, uh, punctuality, and uh, respect for my teammates in this case my correspondents uh, you for example i i responded to you i uh, there's this thing uh, that most uh, young men learn by uh, being in the army but obviously not everybody goes to the army anymore so uh, the fallback um, um, mechanism for raising uh, young men is just is athleticism or athletics uh, I went through that, and uh, that benefited me greatly in uh, in my work. So at MIT, now to end uh, this uh, story of uh, <laughs> great fortune, um, I was in fact uh, uh, very hungry. I had very little money. The uh, my stipend was extremely, extremely uh, um, what do you call it, uh, Spartan. Um, to the point that my I was the only uh, the only uh, the only student, the only guy from uh, from exotic Eastern Europe in uh, my dormitory, nobody like me. So all my pals were Americans, and they taught me English. They taught me slang. Uh, we played great basketball together. But they also they also took me with them to to have four um, uh, student jobs on campus so that I would feed myself. You get mm. it? I was, yeah. I had four. Okay. Uh, great university. So one of them happened to be uh, essentially the helper to a janitor in the uh, basement laboratory of the uh, of the cryogenic, uh, uh, you know, the place where they liquefy uh, air into nitrogen and uh, oxygen, things like that, for the uh, physics labs. And the head of the laboratory happened to be the professor who was teaching uh, me at that time the course on thermodynamics. Keyword, actually two words, thermal and dynamics. And uh, uh, I love the subject. Uh, this professor, uh, Joseph uh, Smith uh, Jr., uh, loved me. Um, and he adopted me. I became, later after I got my bachelor's degree, uh, I became his uh, graduate student for my master's degree and uh, PhD. And uh, that is how uh, uh, I became a thermodynamicist. Um, it was this uh, amazing luck. I, uh, was, uh, and of course, I was very serious about thermodynamics, but I could have been serious uh, in uh, 
in my solitude, you see, but that wasn't the case. I was in fact embraced and uh, brought up and brought along and um, um, he, made, uh, he made me somebody in uh, this particular domain. I did not, uh, I did not uh, follow his uh, direction in the field, but uh, the point is that I was very fortunate. But this is very important for the uh, topic of today, also for, uh, for the subject that animates your activity. Thermodynamics is the um, physics of power. Power from fire. Uh, thermo comes from therme in the Greek, which means uh, heating. The heating comes from fire. And uh, uh, dynamics from dynamis, but back in the originally it meant, it meant power. The, uh, the, uh, the, what causes action to take place. Uh, now, uh, dynamics is uh, assigned to the concept of force in uh, physics. Well, that's not uh, too, too, too far from power. The point is that without fire, there's nothing. There's no movement because the power is uh, needed by absolutely everything that is in order to move. The movement destroys the power. In fact, the very first book that, uh, that in fact, this is before thermodynamics, but the very first book that uh, essentially set it all, uh, set it all was uh, by Sadi Carnot, uh, The Motive Power of Fire. That was the title of the book. It's not about the heating, it's about fire, and it's about motive, which means movement, you see? So that's the end of the, uh, the, uh, the enigma of uh, what nature is or what life is. Well, life obviously is movement. And uh, it, it happens everywhere, this movement, uh, regardless of whether it is bio or non-bio. Uh, you have, of course, the movement uh, of the animal kind that comes from uh, the so-called uh, fire in the belly, which actually comes from, uh, from the uh, Okay, free energy, or there's some other words such as exergy, uh, uh, or available energy in the food. All right, that's one. Or uh, these other things that uh, move, say the water in the river basin is uh, is uh, driven by the power um, that comes from the uh, gravitational potential energy of the uh, rainwater on the hilltops. So. Uh, uh, yes, uh, these uh, entities, objects that we're observing are different, but what is the same is the fact that the movement is driven by, um, by um, okay, a, an energy source, uh, let's use, uh, you know, common language, and, uh, and that movement actually dissipates, dissipates the power that, uh, that drove it. Uh, at the end of the movement, there is no more power. It's all gone like this, you know, uh, rubbing two sticks, uh, which is called irreversibility in thermodynamics. So the, the oneness of uh, nature is, 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 um, is screened from the rooftops by thermodynamics. Thermodynamics speaks of this. Here is power, here is movement, Here's the dissipation of uh, this movement into obviously heat dumped to the ambient, <laughs> meaning that the fire that was burning over here by itself in the forest uh, before uh, uh, humans uh, adopted fire, 
uh, that fire dumping all of its heating in the ambient. Uh, now, because of contrivances, including animals, which are natural contrivances or natural trucks, uh, because of these moving things, including river, uh, rivers and deltas, uh, that power, uh, which came from a fire, from a source, that power uh, created movement. The movement dissipated the, the power and uh, poof, at the end, uh, all the heating from the fire went into the atmosphere as it was going before there, was, there were systems in motion and other things uh, like for, on the moon, for example. On the moon, you have uh, uh, heating from the sun um, bouncing, meaning uh, striking the moon and then bouncing 100% into, uh, into the cold space. Uh, it's the same here on Earth, except that because of uh, uh, things that uh, are uh, uh, endowed with configurations that uh, more freely, there's movement from the uh, river water to the animal life. And, um, and in the end, it's the same thing. But in, uh, on Earth, there's movement or constant uh, uh, reshaping of the Earth's surface. Uh, you know, geological eras were uh, on a shorter time scale, uh, today being different than yesterday. All these things uh, appear to be, um, how should I say, uh, uh, complicated, were, uh, were uh, complex, were uh, diverse. But uh, the big picture is, in fact, uh, only one. And so wait, can the, I can I uh, jump yeah. in for one second? Um, no. Just in, so I yeah I found this so in your book uh, Freedom and Evolution, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean one of the the themes I think is just that there are these phenomena that we might associate with one area of life are much more universal. So if we take what you're talking about right now, I think in with the with the dynamics you're talking about, most of us might be most familiar with our car engine. So for example, you know, our, our car burns gasoline and then that generates heat and pressure and that moves the wheels of the engine. But then we hear that, you know, the, first of all, we hear that, well, some, a lot of the energy in the gasoline doesn't even get to the wheels. A lot of it just dissipates, but then the rest of it ultimately dissipates once it's gotten to the wheels. And that what I take from your work is that everything has this kind of end, like the engine powers something, but then that is in effect a break and the energy dissipates. So you need constant energy to power everything in nature, any movement, whether it's living or non-living. The, um, that description is correct. The, um, uh, it's nobody's fault that uh, only a fraction of, uh, of the, uh, let's say, uh, uh, heating from that uh, fire in the uh, combustion chamber is uh, is uh, becomes uh, uh, mechanical mechanical power work work against the wheels or for that matter against the road uh, that is the uh, that is thermodynamics uh, a power plant a uh, power plant that uh, converts uh, heating into uh, working. Um, according to Sadi Carnot, um, cannot have an efficiency greater than um, a particular value, uh, meaning that only a fraction of the, of the so-called uh, um, heating uh, value of the of the fuel is uh, becomes work that uh, that does the pushing. Uh, that's thermodynamics. The um, 
what you said about the car is, uh, is can be translated into uh, a zoologist uh, language. Uh, the animal is the same sort of thing. What is uh, what is uh, automobile to uh, to you and all engineers is the animal to uh, to the biologist. There is uh, there is food ingested. Uh, this thing uh, is designed obviously naturally. The animal design is a, an amazing amazing vehicle, and uh, the vehicle uh, moves. And incidentally, I'm now getting to one of your introductory words. Uh, movement, by definition, Alex, means uh, getting the environment out of the way. Uh, that's what it is. It means relative motion means you get the uh, go swimming, okay? You swim by getting the water out of your way. Um, you, uh, you walk through the uh, thicket by, by pushing the weeds or the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the canes out of your way. Otherwise, you, you end up dying by hitting the, the tree trunks. So movement is synonymous with having impact on the environment, on your immediate environment. Life means impact. Life means movement, and movement means impact. So all this thing about uh, you know eliminating uh, environmental impact is, uh, uh, is, is not only uh, against life, it's just will, the eliminating will not happen because nobody is going to opt for death as opposed to life. Uh, I come back to Theronomics once again, which is a very thin book with very few words. Um, in Theronomics, from the beginning, the concept of death was written down. It's so obvious. The dead state is the condition of an object where nothing moves, nothing flows, Nothing uh, changes. The uh, shape of the object is not changing, meaning zero feet, among other things. But nothing moves. Well, the antonym of that, you can, uh, you know, turn your English inside out, um, is, uh, you know, movement, freedom to change, freedom to be deformed, uh, obviously, freedom to be thrown or caught. Uh, that is the antonym of death is life. So the life state is everything is the condition of everything you know everything you look at everything that's inside of uh, you inside of your room inside of your society inside of <laughs> history book in your in your history book if you are into history the way i am you see you see movement the those uh, wonderful drawings from uh, say antiquity and everything else the chariots the building of the temples the firmas of course i mean what the castles ramparts all these things um, these images may be still or uh, static on your page but they are the result were the snapshots of uh, movies of movement and again in the 50s when these uh, uh, cinemascope uh, uh, pictures appeared in color and everything, uh, recreating the stories of antiquity. You saw, you saw the 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 moving the moving story of uh, what has had led to these edifices. Uh, I'm not, okay, edifices is one thing, but from movie to movie, from era to era, from antiquity to Napoleon, you saw the evolution of uh, how to move things or how to build things. 
or how to organize things, the uh, shape of the army from the Roman, uh, uh, you know, battle uh, stand to uh, say uh, Napoleon, and of course all the way to the 20th century. So you got a feel for the fact that evolution, Alex, is uh, has been around forever, and it's a much bigger scale than uh, the salamander, or some other uh, small thing that uh, you can the evolution of which you cannot observe in uh, real time. And so from this uh, um, uh, point of observation, you, you acquire the power of, uh, of enjoying uh, uh, simplicity or a um, simplicity in a good sense. You're not wasting your time on, uh, on uh, trying to get out of, uh, you're lost in the forest. No, you're not, you're actually above the forest. And you see, uh, you see oneness. You see, no problem. You see, you predict the future. You predict the future, like this thing about uh, environmental impact or uh, some other slogans you uh, all of us uh, hear these days regarding uh, um, energy or the future, the future of the planet, uh, the uh, future of society. All these things, um, all these things are. Um, easier to understand and easier to predict if you uh, <laughs> know thermodynamics. Uh, so let me ask about, um, and I know it's going to be hard to answer pretty quickly, but it, I think it'd be very valuable for people to understand at least a little bit of the story of constructal law, which is what you're most known for, including, I think it's important for people to know already how influential this has been. I I don't know. Look, influential. That's uh, that's for uh, for others to to, to comment on. Uh, but the uh, especially as the uh, as the concept or the field uh, matures, uh, uh, this wasn't a plan. This wasn't a plan. Um, what you uh, this uh, construct the law? It was an accident. But before I get to it, uh, I uh, I meant to. Uh, to put a uh, an even better paint on uh, this uh, comment regarding the environment and the impact on the environment, uh, okay. the animal, Alex, the animal, uh, the animal is impacting its environment all the time. It's called the niche construction. The animal, uh, the bird makes the nest. The uh, the bear makes the den. The uh, the cat basically meows at my door to be taken in. My house becomes no, in fact, my house becomes a niche of the cat. Uh, the, the the animals have been uh, engaging in niche construction forever. You, I watch these the nature movies, uh, uh, birds uh, breaking nuts uh, with uh, with little rocks. You see, they. They use the environment, they actually move things, they rearrange the stones, that's impact on the environment uh, in order to live more easily. So uh, so the fact that uh, I am uh, building a fence around my house or I am uh, I am uh, paving my street or uh, I'm doing these things, I am no different than, uh, than all the other animals around me. Um, so, so environmental impact, is in fact uh, studied and recognized and uh, admired in biology in the sort of field called niche construction. 
So uh, this thing with the power from fire and the movement and all the way to the civilization of today, the name for that is the human niche construction. Uh, nothing different, nothing new, and all of it nature. You see. Uh, well, let me but, let me uh, say one thing yeah. about one thing about that because it's. I just want to say it's very unusual for a scientist today, unfortunately, to have that perspective. And I, I so I'll give you the perspective. I mean, I think of it as if the if there were Martians and they observed us, they'd think, oh, they build the best nests, like of humans, like we're we're sort of the best at needs construction in terms of the most powerful. But if you take even an eminent scientist like Stephen uh, Hawking, he has a book with his daughter. And it's all about it. Has it's a children's book, and they say, "Oh, if the marsh, if there were Martians and they saw us, they'd say, oh, what a mess they made of it. Everyone would be so embarrassed by us and ashamed of it.' And this this idea that oh, human impact is bad, and that's the exact opposite of how I think of it. But it's it's so rampant to think, oh, you know, bear impact is good, beaver impact is good, bird impact is good, but human impact is bad. Well, uh, clearly, I am not. I am. I'm not a reader, uh, frankly, uh, <laughs> for my own good. Um, so I don't know this book, but it sounds like, uh, well, uh, that's uh, taking uh, taking sides before you even start writing. Um, uh, who is to know what the Martian uh, thinks? Okay. Who is to know uh, the point of view of that Martian observer? Meaning, who is to know uh, what, how the Nar Martian differentiates between uh, organized and messy? I have no idea. What I know is that if you really want to get uh, down this path of uh, judging, this is called being judgmental, judging uh, uh, animals that lived on Earth, yes, I think dinosaurs uh, cr committed the uh, large-scale savagery wherever they uh, they lived and uh, and yes they had a lot to do with the geological era of of, uh, of their time you can uh, they're still discovering uh, the, uh, the 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 winners and the losers of that uh, you know the fossils they're discovering them in the uh, in those uh, graves you know that they're digging up um, so uh, the fact that the uh, uh, people are uh, changing the face of the earth. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, it's uh, no different. Uh, this is the uh, the human geological age with our uh, uh, dumps, you know, for uh, for garbage and uh, uh, recycling. You know, this is what's going on. And uh, by the way, I can we can get into uh, how much longer this will. Uh, will uh, go on uh, if you want, but uh, that's the, uh, again, the, the view that uh, makes me feel uh, very comfortable with uh, predicting that um, um, the future is going to be the same as it ever was, okay? That's the, uh, no matter what, uh, what uh, the, the cries of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, disaster where uh, the sky is falling or, uh, well, or let's... you know, scary, scary, uh, scary predictions. I am. Um, I, I well, now, now I want you to talk about that because that's, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I mean, because the obviously the one that's coming out of academia is, is that our impact on climate is going to be so catastrophic that you, we, you have 50% of adults surveyed thinking the human race is going to be extinct 
in the next 50 years due to climate. Right. So I'm curious right. your take let's, on let's, all of let, that. Let, let, let's treat that subject, but I owe you a very quick answer to the constructor law, okay. uh, what it is and how it happens. All right, so um, I uh, got my PhD in 75 and started my career in thermodynamics. There are basically two ideas. The one is the first law, and the other one is the second law. Uh, the first law is the uh, law of uh, so-called energy conservation. Uh, it used to be called uh, uh, in mechanics, what goes up must come down. Uh, so that's energy conservation. Um, if you uh, rub uh, two sticks, uh, the uh, the work that you do on the sticks becomes 100% uh, heat imparted to the sticks. So that's the first law. The second law is the... Um, the uh, universal observation that everything that flows, flows uh, one way from high to low, uh, heat from uh, hot to cold, the uh, water in your pipe from high pressure to low pressure, uh, okay, uh, water from the top of the hill to the valley. So that's uh, a phenomenon called irreversibility. One phenomenon has one law. The phenomenon in uh, the first law is the uh, going up uh, eventually becomes uh, coming down. That means energy conservation. So that's one phenomenon, one law. Uh, irreversibility is the second phenomenon. Uh, the name for that is the second law. There are many, um, um, uh, there's now a tower of Babel about the second law. It is to be avoided. The original uh, original uh, uh, observation that there is a universal observation called irreversibility is what the second law is. This is what Clausius uh, wrote 150 years ago. And it's very uh, useful for uh, teachers and uh, students to stick uh, to that or begin with that so that they know uh, what the idea was. The point is that uh, Thermodynamics, which is the science of, um, as I said, the power from fire, um, is about these two ideas. And these two ideas say absolutely nothing about the configuration in which the movement is happening, in which these flows from high to low are existing. Nothing about the configuration. But it, so here's the click that was uh, about 25 years ago. But even though these two ideas take half a page to state and to perhaps uh, uh, state three times uh, each, uh, the book is thick. The book of Theronomic is full of drawings, of drawings of uh, obviously contrivances uh, that, uh, that obey these two laws. But the drawings have history to them from uh, the steam engines of uh, Newcomen and James Watt to the, uh, of course, uh, going through locomotives, to, uh, you know, rockets and uh, uh, turboprops and some other things today uh, in the modern era. And so uh, it occurred to me, I said, thermodynamics is, I'm teaching my students uh, about the evolution of designs. And there's nothing in the first two laws that uh, orders the, uh, both nature and thinker to evolve the design. So that is the click because uh, clearly evolution is what dynamics is about and nature itself is all about evolution. 
uh, it's not just uh, biology, and uh, but I hear the word evolution in uh, in obviously geophysics, the evolution of the river basins, the the uh, continental drift, uh, the avalanches, the uh, the rock slides, the mudslides, the obviously the snowflake itself is a uh, evolutionary design. Uh, the uh, the winds, the uh, whatever atmospheric circulation, all these, and you see them by the way on the uh, the weather channel. You see this this there's a convulsion after convulsion after convulsion. All these things are doing their best. That is called turbulence. Their best to move through their uh, uh, fellow uh, you know uh, spectators in the stadium. Uh, uh, to elbow their way through more and more easily. So that's evolution everywhere, and it was not covered in uh, the book on thermodynamics. My dro my drawings, the, dro the classical drawings of the book had no right to be in that book according to the laws of thermodynamics. So I said, well, in this case, uh, the fact that the, the, the occurrence of all these uh, morphing designs is so universal, it means that this universal phenomenon um, uh, can be summarized with its own law. And so I wrote down uh, uh, this uh, statement. Uh, actually, I thought about the statement very seriously because I did not want the statement to sound uh, as if I was a uh, biologist or a geophysicist or a uh, builder of uh, piping systems for some submarine. I wanted the statement to be uh, to be um, uh, non-denominational, non so I said that for a flow system to persist in time, flow system persisting in time means to live in the physics. Um, it must it must evolve uh, with freedom, so that it provides uh, greater access to what flows. Period, and you can. You can uh, substitute uh, your own words in that statement. Fluid flow, heat flow, uh, a pedestrian flow in the subway station, whatever you want. And then you get uh, the and then you discover, yes, uh, all sorts of uh, flow system architectures all the way to, uh, to the design of the pedestrian movement in the, in the subway station. You, you predict the evolution of those, uh, of those extremely natural and useful Flow architectures. You predict the future of essential of everything, but future on a on a large scale. I'm not predicting what's going to happen tomorrow. I am actually predicting what I will what will be in this book of history that I did not read yet. Meaning, I go back and uh, I actually I have a good time doing this. I go, I read the books of the history of art, for example, uh, and I see. Uh, an evolutionary design uh, according to the constructor of the history of uh, uh, written language. How is that? Uh, meaning alphabet from here to here all the way to today. <laughs> I, I uh, of course, the history of uh, uh, motion pictures um, and history of warfare, all these things uh, are, are in accord with what I just stated except that uh, uh, all of them are predictable predictable in retrospect well uh, if uh, if that coincidence is so uh, all over the place then it means that the same uh, the same statement uh, 
allows me to fast forward uh, my predictive power into uh, into the future and um, I feel very confident or in this case optimistic about the future of uh, of uh, all of us so if you want to talk about uh, the future of the planet uh, let's do that okay let's um, let's hear it <laughs> uh the uh, people are not stupid. That's uh, that's the uh, the uh, the good news. And the best of them uh, are the ones who will be born tomorrow. In other words, uh, uh, the at uh, uh, all at uh, all uh, its stages of uh, development, and the world you know very well has gone through a lot of uh, uh, big mistakes. Big mistakes. And it has recovered from those uh, because, luckily, uh, there were people, meaning minds, minds that uh, that uh, saw a better way, or saw the solution, or saw how to prevent uh, even uh, worse uh, disasters. And so uh, I'm very confident. If you uh, and, and again, uh, the evolution of uh, of technology uh, is full of these examples. Uh, my um, uh, favorite, in fact, is part of thermodynamics, uh, the history of thermodynamics. The uh, in the um, mid 1800s, when uh, the steam locomotive uh, was the invention uh, uh, that uh, shaped the world. You know, the industrial revolution was that was steam power. Um, uh, railroads, railroads invaded the landscape. They uh, they were atrocious uh, from the point of view of uh, of, uh, of people who are living based on agriculture. Uh, trains were killing uh, livestock. Uh, the railroads uh, obviously eliminated a lot of the uh, living space of uh, uh, domestic and wildlife. Uh, they killed people at the uh, railroad crossings. So there was this, uh, uh, I think now, uh, uh, typical conflict between uh, uh, the good, uh, the good aspect of the new technology and the bad one. Okay, and uh, it took decades for, uh, as I say, the uh, the newly born uh, smart people to. Uh, to come up with uh, a better and better design of uh, of railroads to have uh, uh, ramps at the crossings, uh, much more. And now more recently, we have the underpasses, overpasses, and um, a much uh, better peace between uh, between the train traffic and the uh, and the uh, truck traffic, and uh, obviously. Uh, diminishing pedestrian traffic. Now you have the air traffic, incidentally, um, at uh, a much uh, higher level of perfection than it used to be. Uh, when I was, uh, say, 50 years ago or earlier, uh, air traffic accidents were, uh, were common. Now they're uh, uh, extremely, extremely rare. Um, even though uh, never mind the pandemic. Even though uh, these days the whole world is uh, is uh, moving at a at a rate uh, uh, obviously never seen before, and uh, 
the point of my little story is that every new technology uh, is uh, uh, has like a a, a knife with a, with a two uh, uh, sharp edges. Uh, one is useful. The other one is uh, or can be dangerous. Um, at the end of the war, uh, it was nuclear power. You know that story. And um, now, thank God, the nuclear power has been uh, not only harnessed, but uh, the, uh, the, the disastrous aspect of it has been uh, kept in check uh, because of uh, smart people coming around and coming along and um, and uh, protecting everybody else from uh, uh, complete complete destruction and uh, that uh, of course brings me to uh, to uh, these uh, other concerns that uh, I, I read read about in uh, in uh, in the press uh, I am very confident that uh, when <laughs> I hope it's not going to happen this way but when uh, uh, the knife hits the bone, uh, then then people say uh, enough of this. Except that I haven't I haven't seen anybody uh, reacting that way, at least not yet. Because clearly, clearly, <laughs> everybody wants to live, and um, I come back to the uh, definition of life, <clears throat> as you've um, I'm sure you've read in my book. There's an undeniable relationship <clears throat> between um, between, uh, say, the wealth of a of a of a group and the uh, rate at which that group is uh, burning fuel. Okay, so wealth uh, in my book is measured as GNP is in a one-to-one relationship with uh, with the uh, rate at which that group consumes fuel. Well, it consumes fuel in order to move things. So movement, which means life, is synonymous with wealth. Wealth that's being spent annually. This GDP is uh, is money spent. So uh, so that's the uh, the uh, the reality that uh, says that these people, uh, obviously, everyone everybody prefers wealth and prefers life, that means everybody prefers obviously movement, which means that perhaps unwittingly, nobody, nobody uh, prefers uh, to cut down on uh, burning uh, fuel, nobody. And that's been the record. I mean, absolutely nobody. And um, so that's the, uh, the, uh, the driving force uh, of, uh, of civilization, not only today, but uh, forever. Uh, by the same token, uh, you go back to animal migration and everything else, uh, animals that uh, are uh, find themselves unable to graze on this particular uh, piece of land, they move. They move in order to continue to graze uh, elsewhere. Uh, this is life. And um, if you want to, to, uh, not you, but uh, some people who want to engage in science fiction. It's of course uh, interesting to imagine what will happen if, uh, for example, uh, a certain commodity disappears completely, or uh, another thing uh, 
disappearance and all these other things. Uh, this discussion needs to keep going, and uh, but the society as a whole will uh, will uh, do something about it. Meaning, uh, a city government here or a, uh, a country over here will do something about it only when um, when uh, the uh, danger against life becomes uh, uh, not only obvious but unbearable. But do you think that's actually going to happen, that there's going to be unbearable danger to life? No, I don't think it is going to happen. Uh, in fact, I promised you this, uh, this, uh, this answer, uh, or maybe I promised to myself to tell you uh, this answer <laughs> earlier. Uh, look, the reason uh, humanity is doing so much uh, reshaping of the Earth's surface is... Uh, it's very, very simple. It's the Industrial Revolution. The, uh, quite naturally, uh, the human animal discovered a uh, much more fertile uh, area on which to graze. And that area is called, uh, you call it fossil fuel, that's okay, or some other fuels, because uh, people had come up, smart people, from, uh, from obviously, uh, uh, capable mothers uh, came up with this uh, idea of uh, of a power from fire, power from fire. So the uh, the jump in uh, movement in uh, everything that's known uh, and connected with wealth, all the way to the uh, steep jump in the world population. All these things are the result of the industrial revolution, which means, again, thermodynamics, movement driven by fire. Okay? So, uh, but it's not that, uh, this movement is not uh, so big because we have so much fuel. This move, movement compared with the uh, movement that existed previously because of uh, domesticated animals pulling carriages, this movement is much more intense because the um, contrivance, in this case, the uh, automobile or the locomotive, whatever, the airplane is a, a much better horse, okay? So, uh, but just like the, uh, the, uh, the movement uh, facilitated by domesticated animals being big, bigger than what was before domesticated animals, this new movement, which is now kind of uh, the uh, the so-called uh, uh, machine-driven vehicles driven by uh, power from uh, fossil fuel or some other fuels. I don't care about the uh, origin of the fuel. The fact is that uh, it's uh, power from fire. This other way um, is uh, will be around uh, the way you see it, and. Uh, uh, this will get us, get us into the diminishing returns uh, now or maybe later, uh, but uh, it will not be it will not be um, uh, uh, creating another jump, another jump, stepwise jump in uh, in the movement on Earth. Every stepwise jump in uh, in human uh, presence, you know, moving, which means uh, changing the uh, the Earth's surface. Uh, is due to a technological change. 
is due to a new species of, uh, uh, you know, um, um, mechanical animal, human and machine species. In our case, the uh, the the people uh, in their vehicles, as opposed to the people riding horses or in carriages. And so, uh, this little, <clears throat> little story is about the fact that um, we're now in a um, in a holding pattern, and we see the holding pattern in many ways. Uh, some of uh, some of this is illustrated in my uh, most recent books. The uh, the number of miles driven by all the vehicles in the U.S. has reached a plateau. Uh, the world population is uh, reaching a plateau. It's, uh, that plateau is predicted to be reached in the year 250. That's a prediction from the United Nations. So, uh, uh, so never mind population explosion. It's about population uh, reaching its uh, the equilibrium that corresponds to uh, machine power. Okay, so uh, unless there is another way to move stuff, another way much more, um, let's call it succulent than what we have these days, the uh, the future is very clear. It is the future of uh, of uh, what happened in uh, say Western Europe, uh, say Belgium, where uh, uh, the whole place is uh, vascularized with uh, power generation and uh, and traffic and uh, okay <laughs> uh, trains and uh, trucks and airplanes uh, and very very little uh, growth in the GDP from year to year. That sort of uh, uh, advanced uh, life will uh, spread more and more uh, over the globe. It will be a good thing for. Uh, because a lot of the globe is still uh, in uh, deep poverty uh, or uh, unaffected, not touched by uh, by uh, this uh, movement that we uh, we uh, are now uh, uh, discussing. Um, in other words, it's not the end of uh, of of the world in any way. There is a lot of uh, uh, change uh, to be to be made, change in a good direction. Um, and uh, and the reason why this is in fact a, a promising future is that um, is another um, uh, empirical uh, fact. If you look at the okay, I get I'm coming back to the uh, to the image of uh, uh, smart uh, smart uh, children being born, and that's the good news. If you look at the uh, the distribution of uh, countries in these two dimensions of the, let's see how I draw this for you to read it uh, this way. Uh, on the vertical is the wealth, on the horizontal, sorry, in this direction is the, the burning of fuel. Then uh, on the bisector in uh, this direction, you have the distribution of countries at the very top, uh, like uh, leading the peloton of the bicyclists are the most advanced uh, countries. You know, you know them, you know, everybody, Switzerland, the US, uh, you know, Germany, France, England, all that, okay? And then at the very bottom, so many, so many that um, there's no room for you to write the names of these uh, dots here in the, uh, those that are trailing the peloton. And uh, the fact is 
that the the voices and the thinking and the writing and the inventing that is occurring in this group of people occurring for the purpose of saving the world is happening in these top countries in the top universities of the top countries therefore if you really want to empower the um, the world to save itself then it stands the reason that you should do a much better job of making the the population from this other end uh, travel not only upward but faster to catch up with the with the top of this distribution and contribute contribute not only to concerns about the future of humanity but solutions uh, to uh, to uh, to that to better future in other words once again if you're if you're interested in saving the world then do more of what the uh, the population that uh, that of course is wealthier but consumes more power is doing it is these countries that worry about saving the environment that uh, say well uh, obviously uh, do a lot uh, of uh, technology evolution to do things more efficiently more safely more uh, humanely more uh, altruistically is going on all that is going on in the uh, in the advanced societies and uh, yeah, yes, and you cannot have enough of uh, that good thing. And so one answer, as I just said, is to uh, empower those, meaning to, yeah, to empower those who are currently not uh, uh, movers and shakers, uh, meaning moving and being wealthy, empowering those to become uh, more and more like us. Uh, not through uh, handouts. I'm talking about through uh, through connecting them to to the to the big game, education, and a few other things like that. That um, and that um, yeah, and more freedom. Obviously, we haven't gotten into that uh, 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 subject really yet. Yeah, well, we got a lot. We got a lot to cover. We're fortunately doing another one of these, but let me ask one last one as we wrap up this hour. I just want to, <clears throat> excuse me, play devil's advocate. So I agree with you totally, everything you said. But if we take some of the colleagues, maybe at the Nicholas School, the environment, or you know, a lot of people I've debated, they would say, well, if you empower, you give these people freedom and education, you're gonna. It's what's going to happen is what's happening in China. They're going to consume for the near term at least more fossil fuels. And then the view is, oh, the earth is going to heat up so much and sea levels are going to rise and storms are going to get bad and drought is going to happen and the earth is going to be unlivable in the next several decades. So how do you respond to that? Uh, uh, how? Uh, you have to restrain me. Uh, don't give me China as an example, an example of freedom. Uh, the example that uh, well, forget forget the freedom, the, but I mean, you can the, take the, Singapore the or somewhere else. They're going to use yeah. more fuel. Sure, let me tell you uh, the uh, the example that uh, that uh, fits in this discussion is what happened to uh, Central and Eastern Europe when the Iron Curtain fell. Uh, yes, the uh, the uh, highly advanced uh, West 
not just Western Europe, but uh, America and uh, Japan and all these um, moved and in order to fill the vacuum. And um, uh, they brought industry, they brought uh, roads, they brought yes, uh, better railroads and of course air traffic. And with that, they brought uh, the cleaning of the environment. They brought uh, laws, laws of protecting the environment. Um, the, the place was a mess. It was a cesspool uh, from communism because nobody owned anything. Uh, nobody cared about uh, you know, picking up after themselves. The Danube was, uh, again, horrible. Uh, you had to be crazy to be fishing in it. Um, and so that is the, uh, that is the, the, the good hand of, uh, of advancement. The, uh, the living space with niche becomes better and it becomes better for everybody. Now people are going, uh, these people will love to uh, see wildlife are all over the Carpathians because they are worth visiting. Um, so that's the example. Now what's going on in China is something quite different. Uh, something quite different. That is a, uh, a, uh, a one-party uh, state uh, with a particular plan. And the plan of that party, as it was during the Great Leap Forward, was to make uh, China a global power by, uh, uh, by design, by design. And that means, uh, you know, building so many power plants uh, per month and uh, doing all sorts of things uh, step by step, step by step without uh, you know, uh, uh, exhibiting the same behavior or the same concerns as, uh, as, a, uh, as a society. Say, pick any country you want in Eastern Europe where they have, uh, they have discussion going on all the time about uh, what to do and whether what they're doing is uh, enough or too much. See, the give and take that uh, we take for granted in a, in a free society is not, uh, is not distributed uniformly on the globe. And um, it's not only China. I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of these places that, uh, that uh, are not, not uh, um, I would say, not helping in the direction right. that, uh, yeah. Okay, so let me, let me refine it. So, okay, they might, again, with the devil's advocate, they might say, okay, well, yes, the free societies are cleaner. They have cleaner local environments. China, has, a lot of their dirtiness is related to the one-party rule. But they'll say, well, even whether you're talking about the free countries or the non-free countries, when they're burning fossil fuel, they're adding CO2 to the global atmosphere. And isn't that going to ruin the world for everybody? And we're not going to be able to adapt. So what do you think about that? Well, uh, clearly, uh, if we reach that stage, once again, uh, once again, the good old uh, USA and, uh, and UK and uh, Germany and very few other such countries uh, will come and uh, and uh, save the world. You look at uh, China, uh, most of the debris in the Pacific Ocean comes through the through Chinese rivers, also from India, but uh, the, the, uh, most of it comes from mainland China. Uh, all the plastic that's floating and gyrating in, uh, in, uh, in the Pacific is from there, from them. And who is picking, who's cleaning up? Who's cleaning up? A bunch of, uh, well, very few, uh, from, uh, from these uh, countries that I keep uh, mentioning, from the top of the peloton, they're doing the cleaning up. And uh, so yes, uh, <laughs> if we ever 
reach that stage, there will be an industry of, uh, of how to save the world, uh, just as there is not uh, technology, but an industry actually of how to save the world. Uh, that's already in progress now with uh, what's going on in the, in the, uh, with the plastic uh, floating in the Pacific and uh, many other such places. Um, the, um, I, I don't think that uh, the, uh, the, the topic is, uh, is novel, really. The topic is not novel. The world uh, uh, as a whole uh, is, is walking, yes, a fine line between uh, uh, getting through or hitting the wall. You know, that's the, the evolutionary path of anything that, uh, that uh, inhabits, inhabits the world. And, um, and all it takes uh, is, uh, yes, from year to year, a, a, a better, a better, like with the uh, airplanes, a better guidance uh, system, and it will happen. It, it happens naturally because people are smart and people want to live. And people, meaning, no, they want. They just have this innate desire to to live better, more safely, and um, for their sake, but also for the sake of their uh, immediate uh, um, relatives. All right. Well, we're going to have to stop there this time since we're we're over our hour. But I just want to make sure everyone knows about the book. So the the, uh, the most recent book is Freedom and Evolution, and then you can check out uh, Professor Bejan's other books. I'm sure you can go to Amazon. Uh, I'll just give you one minute if you want to say anything in conclusion for today, and then we're planning on having another discussion as well. Well, in conclusion, um, the um, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> Uh, if and when we talk again, you should you should tell me not to speak, not to talk too much, because uh, I'm afraid that I uh, spoke too much. But uh, I think very important is uh, is the uh, first of all the concept of freedom, which uh, uh, unfortunately is uh, the F word on campus. People <clears throat> are afraid to talk about it. Uh, it's very important. Uh, number two. Uh, there are political implications to uh, to this discussion of uh, evolution in nature, um, definitely, because uh, politics is about uh, design change at the uh, societal level, uh, and uh, nature, of course, is all about design change. And uh, we know from uh, every every lesson uh, in the book that uh, anyone who is uh, trying to uh, uh, oppose nature or violate the laws of nature is destined to lose. So uh, it's important to know uh, the rules of this game called nature and uh, go with the flow uh, for your own benefit and also for the benefit of the surroundings as well. So that's the way uh, I would uh, prepare myself for the next discussion. Okay, and next time I wanna very much center around uh, freedom and then the implications of that. So right. thanks so much for joining me and I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Alex. All the best. Thanks again to Adrian Bejan for joining me on the show. Looking forward to our interview next week. I would definitely recommend checking out his book, Freedom and Evolution. It's got just so many fascinating things. And I, uh, I, I go through these books in Kindle often 
And uh, so I, I like to copy and paste and copying and pasting. There's just so much material that I took and he's just the kind of guy he has, he's an independent thinker and he has insights on every kind of thing. And it's one of my favorite parts of the book is just like, he'll have a comment here about Wikipedia and he'll have a comment here about uh, different kinds of academic associations. And some of them I wanna ask him about next week, but you'll see he's just got a lot of these fascinating insights in addition to this broad uh, perspective. One of, the, one of the fascinating things, I won't ruin it for you, but he has a really good explanation of why different kinds of races and ethnic groups uh, dominate certain sports. And it's like so simple and it's the opposite of racism, uh, but it's just, it's just fascinating. And you can see how his way of thinking and understanding the world really does illuminate uh, a lot. So freedom and evolution, that is his most recent work. And it, it, I know it integrates a lot of his work. So looking forward to the next interview with Professor Bejan. Uh, let's do some housekeeping. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. For uh, the latest energy talking points, I've been adding more to energytalkingpoints.com. And I've been mentioning in the past couple of weeks, I have a new service that's free to elected officials and their staff from the US House, the US Senate, and governor's offices. So easy way to refer people to that. All they have to do is go to energytalkingpointsondemand.com. That's energytalkingpointsondemand.com. So if you know anyone from, again, U.S. House, U.S. Senate, or state, obviously, governor's offices, you just tell them to go to energytalkingpointsondemand.com. They'll enter in their information. If their information is actual, is truthful, if they are one, a member of those offices, they'll get in the group. And we're having these Monday calls every Monday where I'm sharing the latest messaging. And also we're discussing the messaging challenges and then different participants are asking or requesting different kinds of messaging. And we've been, I think, doing a really good job at getting people new messaging every week to meet their needs. Uh, so far, the feedback is great. We've had about two dozen offices participate, but I would like to have more like eight or nine or even 10 dozen offices. So refer people to energytalkingpointsondemand.com if they are in those offices. Otherwise, refer them to energytalkingpoints.com or if they want to receive my resources, go to alexepsteinlist.com. Let's see, anything else as we are winding up the year? I still, I have my, my book contract is still not officially signed. So we haven't, the public announcement hasn't been made about the title. Sorry about that. It's coming very, very soon. There are no snags in the process. We're still full steam ahead. I'm finishing up the thing. It's going really well, really happy with it. Uh, I guess that's a good time to remind people of if you want to support our research and development efforts and our promotional efforts here at the Center for Industrial Progress, including the new fossil fuels book, including some of the energy talking points uh, work, you can become an accelerator at industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. One final thing, I've mentioned this before. I know it only applies to a small minority of people, but I did get some good interest in it. So I'll mention it again. Uh, if you have a family foundation or any kind of uh, you know budget to give to nonprofits, I don't usually get involved in nonprofit activities, but a major organization is putting together a speaking tour with me next year. That's gonna, it's a campus speaking tour. It's gonna have eight separate events. Uh, I won't go into the details here because some of them are confidential. I'll tell you more if you contact me, but 
uh, basically it's going to be a really big opportunity to reach a lot of people. I'm going to be speaking at a discounted rate. If you want to make a tax deductible contribution to it uh, at the, you know, the, the, it's pretty big thing. So we're, we're talking about the $10,000 or more level. Uh, just contact me, alex at alexepstein.com, and I will put you in touch with the people. So thanks to the people who've been interested in that already. Maybe we'll get a couple more. All right. Just want to stress again, energytalkingpoints.com, energytalkingpointsondemand.com. I can't share with you a lot of the stuff that's going on is confidential, but you for sure are going to be seeing it appear even next year, some of this influence. We've got great people on the calls, great elected officials every week, uh, great staff members. People are loving this. So just spread the word and you can make a great impact. Even if you don't know your congressman or senator, if they're pro-energy, pro-freedom, just tell them, get your butt to energytalkingpointsondemand.com, get someone on our call, and that'll make a huge difference. All right. That is it for this week. I'll be back next week with Professor Bejan. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.